All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, New Yorkers? Yes, what's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Obviously, I am broadcasting from another place. I am not at home. I am not in the studio. I am in a hotel room in New York City. I've been here before. Uh, you've heard me from this location before. I just came to New York. This I, I got to be honest with you. This has probably been the best trip I've had to New York in years, and I'm trying to figure out why. And I think one of the reasons is I didn't really have any business. I had no real reason to come here other than I needed to go to New York. I just, I needed to, something about the city, not only does it invigorate me and get my brain going, but it actually relaxes me somehow. And I had to sort of deconstruct that. Yeah. I mean, I had to sort of like, you know, why, what is it about it? What is it about me that where I come to this kind of the, one of the busiest cities in the world. And it's just kind of, I'm, I, I feel relaxed. I feel myself. I feel connected, but I'll figure it out in a second. Let me, let me try to, uh, set up the show here. Alex Winter is here. Now, a lot of you people know him as Bill from the Bill and Ted movies, but he was an actor since childhood and lots of stage and, and film credits. And now he's a prolific documentary film director. He's made docs about Napster, the dark web, child actors, Frank Zappa. And now he has a new one called the YouTube effect. Now I've watched the Zappa doc and I thought it was great. I thought that there was, a, it was a, a, a very big subject to kind of put into context and and really get a sense of, and I thought he did an amazing job with that. And I, I watched the dark web one uh, in prep to talk to talk to him, and also you know, obviously the new YouTube one. But these two, the dark web and the YouTube effect, kind of really create this sort of uh, interesting portal or context to understand kind of uh, where we're at culturally and and where what we're engaging with and and how. Uh, not only you know the world works and information works and transactional uh, culture works, but with YouTube, there's uh, it's interesting what it says about show business and what it says about what people watch and what it says about sort of how people's attention spans are exploited, how algorithms kind of work. I, I don't know. It, it seems as important as a conversation I had with Robert Guffey about uh, sort of the overview and history of conspiracy theories later this month. Uh, I'm not sure we'll, where we'll post it, but I'm going to uh, record a talk with uh, Jeff Charlotte about uh, Christian nationalism. So every once in a while, you know, I do these shows that are, are more informational and uh, more, I wouldn't say investigative, but uh, sort of uh, shedding some light on the you know cultural undercurrents and, and certainly the, they're not even undercurrents. They're they're actually tidal waves that are are kind of redefining culture for better or for worse. So, but you know, I talked to Alex too a little bit about his life and what he did in the past and and, and the regular stuff. But it, it was really one of these things where once I engaged with the material, I was like, "Holy shit! I didn't know any of this." And it's like it really dictates a lot of the world we live in. So uh, I was excited. That's that's all I'm saying. So okay, so let's let's break it down. Like what what am I experiencing? Because I I talked to you. I think about 
maybe wanting to have a uh, to try to have a place here or to live here, and then sort of I go waffle back and forth. It's very expensive, and I have an anxiety problem. And you know, look, this is a a luxury issue, but yeah, I might eventually move back here altogether. I I don't know what it is about me, in the sense that you know some part of me is like, well, yeah, I, uh, maybe I should you know when I retire, which I kind of I kind of want to do at some point. I I don't know. I, I just have a uh, a kind of a uh, uh, working class brain around retirement there does seem to feel to me like why wouldn't you want to stop eventually like i thought about going to new mexico and then i i just never know what i'm gonna do but i just got this feeling like you know i, I have to get out and i need to go to new york it was i don't need to go to new mexico i don't need to go to the islands i don't need to go to the desert i you know i don't want that meditative experience i'm in my head enough I'm sitting at home, I'm trying to write jokes, I'm doing interviews, I'm, I'm writing whatever it is that I write, I'm taking in movies, I'm listening to music, but I don't need more time in my head. And I think one of the reasons that I like to go to New York, and I realized this last week, it has sort of a, a riddling effect on me. You, you know, the idea that if, if you have a certain type of brain and you jack it up, it kind of levels off, it kind of plateaus into something that feels... Uh, not as noisy, not as uh, you know, tweaked, not as anxiety-ridden, and it's it's like Ritalin, and you feel kind of relaxed. And I think that's what happens when I come to New York City. I I've lived here enough times and long enough to sort of interface with the city effectively. Uh, I'm very comfortable here. I have a part of the city that I, I part of my brain and heart lives in down here on the Lower East Side. But I really think that when I get here, something just gives way, and I completely. Relax. There's something about being, uh, you know, and I've, I believe I've talked about this probably every time I come to fucking New York, that just, it just sort of like, I just level off and all the noise in my head stops. And then it really becomes the external noise of the city. And, and that just sort of replaces it. And somehow or another, I'm like, oh man, that's a load off. I don't have to make, I don't have to generate all that noise in my own head involuntarily. It's all happening around me. There's just, no matter where you go, you're picking up bits and pieces of conversation. You're seeing full lives pass you by. There's just thousands of people everywhere. And I've always thought, and I still feel every time I come here, that it's, it, it gives me hope somehow for humanity when I'm in this city, because there are so many different types of people all kind of, you know, butting up against each other. And there's a certain level of tolerance and excitement and electricity and just humanity to the whole thing. So there's that. But then I started to think, like, what, do, what is life made of? And I've been talking about this a bit uh, otherwise in, in different ways in, in terms of interacting with other people. Like, I had some fucking great days and they were just loaded with conversation that wasn't part of my job. Uh, literally hours of conversation with friends. And it, it, and it was easy because when you live in New York, as opposed to L.A. or as opposed to a suburb or as opposed to maybe where you live, in order just to hang out, it, well, it depends. I mean, you might have a habit of it or you, you might have people you meet for coffee once a week or whatever. But in New York, it's literally you could just text somebody. It's like, hey, man, I'm four blocks from your place. Do you want to have coffee? That's... It, for me, that's code for talk for uh, two hours. But, but, and it's it's sort of that easy. It's all very accessible. It's not a big lift. It's not a big drive. It's not a uh, you know you don't have to invest your entire day in it. So there's immediate interaction with people that are in the area that doesn't require much planning. And it kind of I realized this morning that you know that would sort of expand your or my sort of social life, my engagement 
uh, and just sort of you kind of that connection and and kind of uh, you know sharing stuff and building your brain. I, it was just I don't know, man. I also went to the Whitney to see the Jane Quick to see Smith. I'm not sure if it's Jane or Juan. But this is a, a native artist that uh, it's amazing. It's a full retrospective. And I knew her name because I believe when I was a kid in New Mexico in the 80s or 70s that she was just coming up. Uh, she was living in New Mexico at the time. And I can't remember. I have to ask my mother. I think that we might have had a print of hers in the house. So it was all sort of connected. And I got excited about that, about seeing all the native art, about going to the Whitney, about going to that just that structure and being a, among those paintings. And I guess I could get this in LA, but I don't, I don't do it. So what, how, what, what, why should you care about this? I don't know. Maybe I, I'm just talking and I, you know, I'm just excited. And, uh, and New York it, outside of anything else somehow gives me, it just feeds my soul. It gives me hope in humanity. This city gives me hope in humanity. It gives me hope for democracy functioning. It gives me hope because it's one of uh, the few places because I'm a little isolated, because L.A. and a lot of other cities don't work like this socially in terms of the amount of people occupying the same space, there, it, it is a beautiful kind of example of tolerance. And, and that's something that we're running very short on, and it's running out, and it's going to be the collapse of this, this democratic idea is tolerance, living alongside your fellow human beings no matter who they are. There's a, uh, there's a thought I've always had, and it's a reality about New York that I've always kind of talked about, is when you're on the streets in, in New York, if you're not, like, if you're in trouble, like if something happens, if someone goes down, you know, there'll be chaos for a minute, but there's always going to be somebody that's going to step up and go, oh, oh, what's going on over here? What's the matter with her? All right, well, don't get out of the way. Let me take care of this. I'm a fireman. Whatever the case, you know, somebody will step in selflessly and handle it. I mean, granted, there's a lot of, you know, profound problems with homelessness and there are people laying on the street here and there. So the engagement's a little different. It's like, go see if that guy is, uh, is he breathing? Is he all right? What, why don't you put, give him that water. All right. But, but it happens and it, and it happens in a second nature kind of way, in a way that is fundamentally who we are as people in terms of taking care of other people, you know, in our species. And that's, uh, that's exciting to me. You know, it's just, I don't know, it makes me feel good. If you are in these cities, I'll be at the Salt Lake City Wise Guys this weekend, August 11th and 12th for four shows. Helium in St. Louis, September 14th through 16th for five shows. Then I'm at the Las Vegas Wise Guys on September 22nd and 23rd, also four shows. And then October, I'm at Helium in Portland, Oregon on October 20th through 22nd. A couple of those shows are already sold out. Go to WTFPod.com for tickets. Oh, it was funny because I went to see that Quick to See Smith show and she's a, pr a very prolific native artist and I got excited and I wanted to share it with somebody. So I texted Sterling Harjo and I'm like, hey man, I'm, I'm, have you seen this show? Like, it's like that in my mind, it, like I, I didn't know if it was weird or, 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 or relevant or, or just correct that I'm like, I'm going to share this native artist with, the, uh, with one of the few natives I have a relationship with. I was like, this is my native outreach. And Harjo hadn't heard of her or seen her work. You know, he's over in Tulsa. Uh, they just, uh, I think Reservation Dogs, the final season just started. And uh, so I said, you, I can't believe it. It's, it's amazing stuff. And I, I uh, bought him a catalog, had it sent out there. Got him a little present. All right. So look, Alex Winter is, 
he's it, this was a great conversation and it, it's right up my alley in terms of sort of understanding the nature of of the reality and the way we take in uh uh reality uh and what is reality and and what you know how are our brains being fucked with and and what is entertainment and what is sort of uh there it just is one of these all-encompassing conversations that really engages you know everything that we're up against in what really turns out to not be reality but uh what is sort of taking control of our behaviors and our mind and and one of those things is is youtube so the YouTube Effect, which is this doc that he's directed, is available starting tomorrow, August 8th, on the digital on-demand service of your choice. This is an independently produced documentary, and Alex was not promoting it on behalf of any struck companies. But I still want to point out that we recorded this on July 6th, before the SAG strike, so that's why there's no discussion about that. This is me talking to Alex Winter. You know, you've done a lot of things. <laughs> Speaking as someone who has done a lot of things, yeah. Uh, oddly, I watched the uh, Lost Boys recently. Mm. <laughs> oh wow! I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm not sure why I did necessarily. Yeah. But I, I really like the music. Yeah. In the Lost Boys. Yeah, it was and a fun it, soundtrack. Right. Yeah, especially that Echo cover, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. all like, and then I was like, I wonder how that holds up. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> like it was a an important film. Yeah, that uh, you know, that I wanted to see. Like, is it still relevant? Right. Yeah. But uh, but it was kind of it kind of is a good movie. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's a fun and all those like Jason Patrick when everyone was younger and and relatively normal seeming. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Before everyone went off the rails. I mean, that was as everyone was literally about to go off the rail. Right. Everyone was sort of like. Perched yeah. on the balcony, yeah, and then they just jumped after that. Yeah, but. and now the arc—it's so it, there's been this arc because you're about my age. Yeah, where I'm starting to realize, like Jesus Christ, I'm older than everybody. Yeah, all of a sudden, right? But but all those guys that you know from your generation of actors, whether they went off the rails or not, they're just old guys now. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's it's, yeah. it's kind of freaking me out. I for me, I guess because I'm one of them, and and you can I'm sure you can look at your life this way as well in terms of the things you were doing at that age. Yeah. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Though. Like, because some of us didn't make it, yeah, right? Quite yeah. a few of us didn't make it at all. Like the guy and people in that movie? Yeah, like Corey Haim is gone and and Brooke McCarter is yeah, gone. Yeah. And, and you know, they, Corey you know, people, Feldman too, right? Corey Feldman's around. No, I know. Yeah. I don't, I just- He's been I get, through the wars, you know? Yeah, I, I get reels yeah. occasionally of him uh, uh, dancing in an odd way. Yes, precisely. <laughs> It's <laughs> a very, it's a succinct way of putting the the Corey Feldman thing. Um, Are you, do you but, talk to that guy? I mean, I don't. The people I'm in touch with, Jason. I'm in touch your... with with Kiefer. Um, I'm, I don't see. I haven't seen. I've seen Corey once. I think in twenty. Was he in years. that doc you did? He wasn't. No. Um, I really wanted to focus on people uh, who I felt um, had kind of been through the whole thing. Yeah kind of landed in a sort of relatively normal place and wanted to speak kind of, you know, more from the, the other side. Oh, not in terms of like, you know, I'm still... Yeah, yeah, yeah Corey's yeah. really in the thick of it. And, you know, it's not like I fault him for that, but sure. he's really working through stuff yeah. right now. Um, and because my story... Because it was kind of an autobiographical story without being in it. Yeah, it was the one, I, the one doc I did. I watched a couple of the three of the of Yeah, it's... Um, but I'm not in it. I just intentionally. Yeah. Um, but it's it sort of tells my story through other people because all of our stories are the same. But was your experience, like there are some people that were 
Like, I don't associate you with a major television exposure for many years as a child. No, but I started at, on Broadway um, as How a child. I was 12, 13. Now, like, so where'd you grow up? I grew up uh, London, St. Louis, New York City. London. Yeah. I was born in London. My my mother ran a dance company there, so I was born there. So you um, grew up in the dance world. I did. Modern, so you, modern dance, yeah. Yeah. You know, like the snooty end of the dance world. Is that yeah. snooty? I thought ballet was snooty. I thought modern dance. Maybe it's snooty just to to justify the, its it, existence. It's, it's exactly yes. <laughs> it's it's snooty in that way that like you know certain factions of post punk rockers in New York or you know what I mean. Sure, like, sure. It's like it's no not, one knows we exist. It's not all of you, right? It's not our fault. You don't get it. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's the kind of snooty. Not yeah. the kind of super high class. You know, we're going right. to the Met to watch Swan Lake. Well, how are you with modern dance? I mean, do, is it something? that you've uh, integrated into your uh, appreciation uh, spectrum? I love watching it. Yeah. When I was three, my parents both made it clear that I was terrible at it and was absolutely not going to continue in Thank their God. footsteps. Yeah, which, which was a blessing and, and not a curse. It was just a blessing <laughs> and a blessing. Of, you could be one of those guys now like <laughs> running a small company. Yes. Yeah. I could have been in a unitard right now. Well, you wouldn't be interviewing me at all. But uh, so no, I was not going to do that. But yeah. uh, but I enjoy it. I mean, I like watching it. And I grew up with my mother's company was pretty uh, successful. So we grew up with a lot in of England. Like, yeah, like Merce Cunningham and Twyla Thorpe and people like that were around my. What do you think? The, what What is the basis? Uh, the basic uh, uh, premise of modern dance. Well, I mean, I don't it, mean to press you on something that's abstract. Yeah, that's abstract, and that I'm going to caveat. I am, I am not. I mean, I'm, I but, know but, a lot about but it. it but. Well, no, it's only because, like, you know, I think, like, generally, when I see people doing live things mm -hmm. that seem to take a tremendous amount of, of risk and vulnerability, yeah. I'm moved by them. Yeah. I don't always know why. Right. And and I think modern dance, there must be uh, there must be a series of steps in a, a, a kind of a, a con uh, a context. Mm -hmm. That you know, these are the things that you do. These are the right. things that do you expect. Yeah. Do you know what they are? Yeah, I think that the 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 mindset of a modern dancer is yeah. almost like the the avant garde end of jazz. Oh, okay. Um, you know, came up in the turn of the century. Um, not that jazz did in the yeah. same way, but it came up turn of the century at a time where a lot of artists were trying to find new ways of expression. Yeah. And you know, you had Isidore Duncan leading into Martha Graham, yeah. and, and people who were yeah. really foraging uh, for for breaking out and away from the kind of classical sure. classicist forms. Right. Of, right. Okay. Um, so that's really it's really an avant garde form of so dance. Is, is there a lot of improvising? Yeah. There's improvising, and then there's a lot of of sort of uh, kind of abstract expression through movement yeah yeah no, um, i get that yeah, yeah. uh so that's kind of what what tends to to draw people yeah to it. and that's why it's also very you know i grew up with none of my friends understanding like my parents were like beyond weirdos they yeah. were like they were just like these weird like there's no level yeah of how uh, of making them understand what and why your parents did Yeah, they they're did. not just, you can't say they're hippies. They're like, oh, I get it. They're hippies or yeah. they're communists or no. something. Yeah, yeah. No, they're no. just in this weird other yeah. nether region. Yeah, and I guess, I think the reason why modern dance is tricky is it rides that line of ridiculous. Like, you know, so it's yeah. very tricky to transcend the ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you can, there'd be times when I would go to Merce Cunningham concerts, not even that long ago, maybe 20 years ago at BAM, and it would be packed. And I've been around modern dance since I was born. I yeah. feel like I get it pretty <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And people would be like, oh, oh, he would like do this move with his wrist. People were like, oh, 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 oh. I was like, I guarantee you that wasn't a joke, guys. Like, I don't think the wrist thing 
was a joke. Uh, they thought it was uh, uh, cute and and. Uh, no, I just think they have no idea what they're watching, but yeah. want to feel like they Get people it? know that they know what they're watching. Wild. So, so there's a lot of that. So then, just by virtue of them being in show business, you found yourself in show business, or like how did you yeah, get to kind Broadway? of. I really I came up dancing and and I was training from a really young age, dance and vocals, and singing. I I liked singing. I yeah. liked all of that stuff. I start ma- started making films when I was really young, like seven, eight years old, shooting with a, them. With yeah, a with a eight? with a brownie camera. With and, a brown- oh, okay. Yeah, and reels and yeah, cutting yeah. them and things. And uh, so I loved the movies, and so I loved film was theater. always kind of there. Yeah, it was yeah, always yeah. there, and I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I w- they didn't push me into it because, as modern dancers, they had sheer contempt for the sort of commercial end of the entertainment industry. Commercial, but you were doing yeah. avant-garde short films as a. Uh, eventually, <laughs> they liked those. Yes, but I came up doing TV commercials and, and oh, acting in them. Yeah, and Broadway musicals. And well, you're, you're you're speaking like they they had no say in your life as an eight year old. You're like, you know, what are we going to do with this kid? He just keeps doing commercials. Yeah, I mean, or that they, yeah, or that they had any any presence whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Absentee you know, dancer parents. There was the, the yeah, there were latchkey kids, and then there's modern dance. Yeah. latchkey kids. Yeah, but what were they off doing? Show, I mean, they they had companies and they were performing and they were all choreographing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like hang around the theater all the time? I did. Yeah, yeah, that's how I ended up on. My mom taught dance at Wash U in St. Louis, and mm. I would get thrown on stage, and then they realized I liked it, and then they realized I was okay at it. And yeah. Then, I, then that turned into professional work and for musicals. Went, exactly. Went on from there. And then you were on Broadway as what? I was uh, Lewis and the King and I with Yul Brynner for wow. a while. Yeah. And then we did it on the road and came out to Pantages. Cancer, Yul Brenner? Pre-cancer, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I was 13. And he did smoke like an absolute chimney. Really? Um, yeah. That's like something you remember. Yeah. He, well, he had this, inc- made you want to smoke. He had this most beautiful, like, basso voice. And you're yeah. like, I got to smoke five packs a day. I want that voice. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then he died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I went right into Peter Pan with Sandy Duncan, playing oh. John Darling with the top hat and glasses. And oh, yeah. Did you fly? I flew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So flew. that's a good Eight shows a week. Yeah, yeah, for like three years, pretty much. Like all <laughs> yeah, through, yeah. all of high school was Peter Pan. So uh, then I did some off Broadway, and then I quit to go to film school. So, Where at? Um, I've quit acting like nine times in, <laughs> over the course of well, my yeah, because it seems like if you if you look at your resume, it does seem pretty film direct directing focus now, or yeah. at least balanced. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, it's mostly. I have I've done other than Bill and Ted three and a couple of other things. I've I've been almost completely focused. Bill on Bill and Ted three. There's a three. There is a three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it I, came I, out during COVID. Oh, I don't. Really? I do not fault you for not knowing about it. It did do very well, but it is a well. People love a, that movie. They do. Yeah. What is the relationship now? Maybe I'm like completely out of my mind, and I and I get things confused. Confused, but is there a relationship to of Bill and Ted to OC and Stiggs? Uh, I don't know. I actually I knew a couple of the guys in OC and Stiggs because that was based on a Lampoon thing. It was. And yeah, I think Robert Altman directed he the did. first one. Yeah, no, Altman is is OC and Stiggs for yeah, sure. I remember yeah. when they made it. In fact, I auditioned for for that. Is um, it is it a similar thing, or am I making that up? No, it's only similar in that it's two guys. Yeah. Um, it's really Bill and Ted was really came out of of two writers doing st- kind of stand up okay. as the characters. It yeah, was really yeah. kind of its own thing. Yeah. Um, but it came out at a time when. And it was in the ether. I think we were like, you know, you can get O.C. and Stiggs yeah. and Spicoli from Fast Times right. and sort of other, you know, even yeah. um, Dobie Gillis, other cultural characters really? like that. Really? Do- a Dobie Gillis reference. Yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. to throw that in. Go but all I the way think, back. I think it's in all in the ether. So that was what was going on. That was yeah. what uh, bro culture looked like. Yeah, that's what it looked like. And it's then. Kind of, it was yeah. a little more harmless. 
Uh, right. There was there's more uh, hacky sack and 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 cargo shorts. And, yeah, but they, we we drove into it sort of. I mean, Spicoli does too. But I think you had uh, you know you had Wayne and Garth, which was much more of an SNL wink and a nod at the audience. Sure, <clears throat> sure. But that, that seemed to be a riff on the idea of of local access and rock dudes. Yeah, exactly. I think it's quite a different thing. In I that think way. It, it would seem that the that like you know Bill and Ted and Spicoli was a California thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. Wayne and Garth definitely didn't seem California. They yeah. seem middle America-ish. Yeah. And yeah. we're just two dopes who are very close friends. I mean, it's really In real life? Well, we are. Yeah. We became really close friends because the audition process was like a torture test. Really? It went on for so many months that we... For, just for the first one? Yeah. That long, you and Keanu became close during that time? Long before we knew that we had the part. We yeah. had just We both rode motorcycles. We both played bass guitar. So we both would jam on bass together, which is kind of parodic yeah. unto itself, if you yeah. think about yeah. it. Um, How's he doing? Good. Really yeah. good. Yeah. He seems to have like really survived in the biggest of ways. You know, he works, I mean, you know this from being within the business, it's... it's Barely. I'm, I'm, I'm just no, on the No, that is not true. Yeah. Um, the people who do do that, like I've noticed from having been around a long at time... At that level? At that level, are unrelentingly hardworking. Like, they, sure. he's very, very hardworking. And I just I, watched River's Edge recently. So good. It is kind of One of, of my good, favorite huh? performances of his, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it must be like his first one. So it's a, it's a couple in, but yeah. And yeah. like it was just, it's sort of odd to watch it after ha having it uh, affect me when I was younger. Yeah, I think I, I've been on a, a, a mild Dennis Hopper kick. Oh, again. well, you could do much worse than that. And yeah. uh, but it's just interesting to to sort of like assess Crispin Glover at that point. In yeah, time. and what he it, was doing, it was crazy. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people were freaking out. Yeah, you know, I and, knew Crispin, you know, pretty well back in the day, and we all had like enormous admiration for him. Yeah. But no one really understood what the hell he was doing. I don't, I think that's, he's maintained that. He has, I mean, yeah. like, I haven't talked to him in a decade. I interviewed him, but yeah. he's one of those, a child actor in a way yeah. that sort of went into this zone which is almost like uh, modern dance. Yes. Like, exactly, you know, this yeah. sort of esoterica, mystical, kind of uh, gothic trip yeah. that he's on. And it's authentic to him, which is what I like about it. It's yeah. really who he is. Yeah, you know? I don't know that anyone would pretend to do that. Yeah. It's not like... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a shtick for a minute, like that weird Joaquin Phoenix documentary he made where he oh, yeah, pretended yeah, to be yeah, a rapper, yeah. like that kind of thing, when an actor... No, he seems pretty committed to it. Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, but yeah, Keanu, I, I don't, you know, I don't, it's just one of these dudes that, um, he seems pretty accessible, but yeah. he's you know bigger than the world. Yeah, yeah, it's trippy, and I think it's probably <laughs> trippy for him, you yeah. know, because there there is the duality of your public life and your private well, life. Well, you got it, like, I realized that uh, one time, I, who was I talking to, Jeff Kahn, you know, there, and I know, I've noticed it that when I was younger at the comedy store, that you get to a certain level where, you know, you... You, you may have a few good friends, but, you know, generally you can only hang out with people at that level. Yeah. So there are these weird pairings. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, like yeah. you, you just see people hanging out. It's like, why is Lance Armstrong, you know, <laughs> hanging out with, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves or whatever? Yeah, it's because, true. Because like, where, where Who else are you going to hang out with? Where can they go? Yeah. Uh, where, Jeff was in Freaked. He was nosy in our movie Freaked. I Jeff Kahn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How's he doing? I think yeah. he's a teacher now. I think so. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a long time. He's really good in that, though, but he has a giant headpiece on the whole Yeah, thing. Uh, he, uh, he's a funny guy. He is, really funny. So yeah. with the like with the acting, what what is it that makes you go in and out? Um, I like 
Is it not satisfying? It's the cre- no. It's very satisfying, but I like the creative expression of actually telling stories. That that uh, I love crafting stories in film. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. And uh, that's just immensely satisfying for me. I love research. I love writing, but on the docs, I love the topical aspect of it and the right. research aspect of it. And and telling stories with with real people. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, something you, you get from from the work you've done with this over the years yeah. is it's there's really nothing like talking eyeball to eyeball with a really interesting person. Yeah. If you, if you give them enough time, you know, it's it, you can. What what I've noticed over the years is that, you know, people like if you give people enough time, even if they're obfuscating mm-hmm. uh you de- you get a sense of who they are well that's exactly it with docs and yeah. and that's why i don't make gotcha docs like even the one i just did on youtube is, yeah. is you know not only do i have a kind of a base level maybe to a fault compassion for pretty much anybody unless they're just a monster and i'm not yeah. usually interviewing monsters yeah um but also they're going to reveal their their non-answer is a great answer, sure. right? Or, or even their lies. Oh, I was about to say, or yeah. their flat out untrue answer is a great answer. Right. I, I like revealing that. You yeah. might linger on them and let the audience sort of sit with a non-answer or a false answer. Yeah, yeah. I think I, there's a lot of power in that. Oh, of course. And and then when you juxtapose it against the other side of things, I yeah. think that the docs you do are, and people will argue with me, and I've argued with doc makers, yeah. that it, you know some people believe it is a <clears throat> an auteur's genre mm-hmm. whereas the other side of the journalistic approach is that <clears throat> it's not yeah and i think that that my argument on it right or wrong is that i think it's actually more artistic and more i wouldn't necessarily say a- auteuristic because i because docs are very collaborative they just are right i mean you're building them with your editor well, a lot of a lot of doc uh, directors will integrate themselves into it right in a big way i intentionally do not do that yeah. right well yeah. to me that's more uh journalistic right that's true. Yes, We're, that is true. Yeah, I'm going to go get the story. Right. Whereas, right. like these guys are like, I'm going in. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you, I think you want to keep things fairly balanced. I think the art of it or the truth of it comes out of not slathering it with your point of view. I think you get more. There's more nuance there. Sure. Well, I mean, so. then you let the story unfold, and then if you could sort of end it, like even the new one or not the new one, what I watch, I watch a YouTube one, but uh, I noticed in the the deep web one mm-hmm. is that right at the very end, you know, you sort of, you, you really see both sides of it, but you also understand both sides of it. And it becomes a little tricky to pick sides, right? That, you know, the complaint of the limitation of the defense's ability within the context of the trial was really just straight up, you know, that, that was just trial law really. Yes. To you know d- this idea that the conspiracy to to uh, to to sort of um, kneecap the defense by denying them a, ter- a certain type of of questioning with the prosecutor's witnesses yeah. was was within the context of of legal understanding yeah and and then you're sort of like well. Well, he did something. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. 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 And that's my favorite kind of doc, ideally, and my favorite kind of subject. That's why I liked Zappa, because it's not, it is polarizing, but not in a kind of gimmicky way. 
Well, I talked that that doc up because I I've been sort of fascinated with Zappa over the years. Yeah, and I dated Moon for like six months. Who's amazing? Yeah, and I heard Dweezil on your show as well, which was great. Right, but that caused problems. You know, obviously, you know, I had Dweezil on, and then Amit's like, "What about my side?" I'm like, "I don't, I'm (laughs) not want a war. I don't don't want to be in the Zappa war that you know twelve people care about. That's why you'll notice there's none of the kids are in the doc because I didn't want to step into that fracas. But you got you got a permission, right? Oh yeah, we had complete permission from every. Body, and most importantly, from Gail and the trust. And I before, had. To, oh, so you started that before she passed. I started away. before she passed, yeah. yeah. And do you know how all the kids felt about it? I don't know what Dweezil thought about it, but Moon sent me a really lovely email saying how much she liked it, which actually was very heartwarming for me because I've been an admirer of her since I was very young. Right, yeah. Um, and then I know that, you know, Ahmet and Diva loved it, but I, you know, I don't know how Dweezil thinks about it. I, I didn't, I lost touch with them when Gail died, as the world now knows, <laughs> you know, there was a a very disruptive break within the family based yeah. on, on things going on within the estate. Yeah. And uh, so I lost touch with him at that point. I was talking to him up until then. And I don't, look, I get it. Part of why I made that film was I grew up in a very, you know, I said this to Moon very at the very beginning and when I started working on it was like, this was very similar to my upbringing. And Insulated and weird. Weird. and the Its both own of, world. Yeah, its own world. And the parents, your parents are super interesting, but maybe not the most present parents. Sure. And, and you kind of are fending for yourself and you love them, but they're also problematic. Yeah. Um, and it was a way for me to kind of reconcile my own childhood a little do, bit. Well, do, do you find like in that childhood, because I think about my childhood, not in show business, but in dealing with selfish parents, did you feel that they, you know, dropped the ball in terms of like taking care of you or protecting you? <clears throat> not to quote your own recent show, but you know, one of my parents is still alive and we get along very well. And I don't yeah. know how deep I want to go into it while Sure. She's around. Sure. My father passed many years ago. Yeah. Um, and the short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that I've caveated the hell out of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, 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 it is odd. It's tricky, right? Making art and the, the question of I'm going to make art and all that that takes and the pressure and the stress and the challenges. And, oh, I've got kids. Yeah. And I love them, but. But you do it. Yeah, but I have. I won't put a butt in front of it. I, I do do it, and I have arranged my life specifically to be there most of the time. But I think that— Which also, takes work. But I think that that at the time of your parents, and certainly at the time of Zappa, you know, these were people that believed, and I think rightfully so, that they were forging some new frontier yes. of, of form yeah. and art that, that was probably true. You, yeah. you know, because you, you really think about, like, even the context of modern dance, you know— it's evolution. Yeah. It's creation happened in your parents' lifetime. Yeah. So no. there was this urgency to it. An urgency. And, you know, and I have to say, and this is what I dug into with Zappa, I had nobody was above my parents in my admiration. Like nobody. I just was blown away by what they were doing. My mother had the first modern dance company in Europe at like 19, 20 years yeah. old. And my dad created the first modern dance company in the Midwest and then would tour around the Midwest when in states where, in cities where movement was illegal. It was like footloose, right? Mm. And my dad was really interesting and he was gay and he was like- dressed, When did that happen? I mean, pretty my parents divorced when I was seven, eight years old. Yeah. And then he came up in an agrarian Australian family where that he would have been taken out back and, and murdered yeah. if they knew. Yeah. Oh, no. um, so yeah. uh, so they were really they were they were champions in my so mind. So did did your mom know all along? 
I think it became more, uh, I think it was like, again, it was the seventies. They were modern dancers. So sure. there was a lot of fluidity. You know, now we're in this world where we're like, oh, trans. I'm like, I grew up with trans all over around and <laughs> yeah. gender fluidity was not yeah, yeah. uncommon in my household sure. and right. childhood. Yeah. Um, so I think it was like, oh, this is all groovy until it wasn't groovy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. The, the crash. Yeah. You know, the, the whole, I think the entire, the, the weird thing is, is that, and, and I don't think it's really covered specifically in your doc, but it seems to be, you know, just under the surface in culture is that, you know, the crashing of that mindset in the 60s, whatever happened yeah. in the 70s, yeah. right? That, yeah, that did what it. that's all about. Yeah. It, it is. And also Manson and, yeah. and Altamont are, are were sort of like yeah. culturally in terms of how it was represented yeah. in what was the news then. And the irrefutable death of the dream. Like there's just no going back. From yeah, that. and it was it was really drugs yeah. it, it, that did it and egos. But ultimately what's happening in the country now is is still, it's the arc of the desired pushback against that, yeah. against the New Deal and against, um, you know, what was seen as socialism or, or free thinking. Yes. Yeah. Of that time. Yeah. And that, and and now we're in fascism. We are on the cusp of it. Yeah, because of that, it it it, it offended so deeply the conservative movement yep. that their entire agenda for the last 30 years is to sort of like nip that in the bud. Yeah, stack the court with justices that will do their bidding. I mean, that started back with that water. And but Rove it was all and, the hippies in the New Deal. This yeah. is what they're still pissed off about. It is, Alito yeah. is like this little baby yeah. who just from the from the get-go in the because he's a boomer. Yeah. So right in the 60s, he was like, you know, fuck these hippies and yep. gay guys. Yeah. You know, what the hell's going on? And now he's a guy. I know. Yeah, top of the world, Ma. It's yeah. crazy. It is. It's terrifying. Yeah. But uh, but going back to the sort of like also the ideas of, you know, what you grew up with and then coming into these docs, like, well, well the Zappa thing, why, why did you take that one? Because it really represented, oftentimes I get, I get pulled to docs either by an incredible personal affinity for it, like Napster, which was my first doc. Yeah. Was this kid, the Sean Fanny kid, I, I was around very deep into Napster when it blew up. Uh, you I, thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. I, I knew it was it had ethical issues. I wasn't an idiot. Ethical and, issues, business wise. Yeah, obviously. And, and, and artists. Uh, and artists' rights wise. Exactly. Yeah, 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 and I'm an artist, so like yeah. I was affected by it. So I wasn't like snickering about it. but yeah. It was an amazing thing. And it, that snicker is important because it it is a it, it is a subtext of all the other later docs. The snicker of the nerd that wins. Yeah. Is sort of. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. true. But it's but uh, that's not necessarily always a good thing. But no, no, yeah, no, not, it's I, a bad thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Fanning was such a sweet, uh, you know, he came from a terrible childhood and like, you know, DSS around him and living in motels and like very Dickensian upbringing and just wanted to bring, he was wanted to bring community together and right. he did it in a way that completely changed the world uh, and then was just completely vilified and, and hit in the public eye. And I just related very much to like getting public scrutiny too early when your sort of childhood doesn't really prep you for it. Um, so and also having some sort of emotional trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Like driven by, like I deal with this stuff a lot now and I don't yeah. know what your personal investigations are, but I'm at an age where I'm not looking back nostalgically, yeah. but I'm trying to answer questions uh, in terms of, you know, why am I like this still? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's like <laughs> that involves, for me, that can involve a couple different therapists a week, but yes, agreed. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a reckoning. Well, how do you stand? Like, where do you feel about that? Because I'm, I'm like just in a personal sense that they're like the one thing you don't seem to be. And, and, and I think it is, 
something about determination or, or something about the good things we got from our parents is that either you live in a victim mindset yeah. or or you live in a, a mindset that has assimilated or repressed whatever it is that you came through, yeah. but you never once, you know, let it undermine your entire life emotionally otherwise. Yeah, I think that, you know, you hit your late 50s yeah. and you've either done a bunch of, and are still doing hopefully, but yeah. you've done a bunch of work on yourself right. or you haven't. Right. And I think that if you haven't, it can be very tricky because who doesn't have childhood trauma? Who doesn't? Who, well, that's an interesting you know. thing, right? And also, like, I, I, I'm starting to believe that most of uh, the cultural and, and, and problems of humanity are, are primarily from unresolved trauma. And the thing is, is that, you know, what is trauma? And to some people, what is psychology? Right. That's right. Yeah, it's true. It's a good so, point. Right. You know? So, you know, you, yeah. it's, psychology is just a a template yeah. for understanding. Like you, when you really think about philosophy, psychology, theology, it's like, there's no science to any of that shit. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. it's, you have it's, to have faith in it. I mean, it, you right. have to have and, and you have to find the strands of like, you know, cognitive uh, you know, uh, behavioral therapy seems to be like the one that seems scientific almost. Yeah. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're hurting people. You're hurting yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe don't do that. Stop. Yeah, practice not doing yeah, that. Exactly. On a regular basis. And, and maybe yeah. you'll, that voice will become louder. Yeah. Than the other thing. Yeah, I mean, it's habit forming. If you do start to do the work, it does form habits, but, but, but it's work. That's right, of course. Yeah. But, the, but the scary thing to me is that, like, with, with the onset of fascism, is that, you know, that whole conversation yeah. is gone. Like, I, I'm trying to work on this bit on stage where I'm like, it used to be once you acknowledge or, or realize that you're an asshole, yeah. that was a proactive step to maybe stopping it. Right. Now it's just sort of like, nope. Yeah, this off I go. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, thank God I know who I am yeah. now. It's free speech. I should be able to be who I want to be. Right. Yeah. That's, it's, it's kind there of are intense. laws protecting this. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can be, an, yeah. I'm going to double down on the assholeness. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. But uh, you put a gun in the Second Amendment with that, and then you're off to the races. That's, oh my God, man! Yeah. I can't like I like sometimes I really can't fathom. Like it's it's very tricky because you know we live in this this thing, and there you know, and I'm I'm trying to put into place some sort of plan, yeah, to where I can avoid you know showing up in another country as a refugee, yeah, and maybe have some right of passage. Yeah, I have a British and, passport, and and even though the UK is a mess right now as well, I'm still like, well, I could go to Scotland. But but the the thing about the weird thing about the UK is that it's an ancient mess. It is. It's true. Like you know, yes. like when you think of America, yeah. it's like we're barely born. Uh, yeah, we're, but yeah. you know, like you know, yeah. you go to you go to uh, England or anywhere in Europe, it's yeah. like this wall is yeah. from before Jesus. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're all oh. fairly resigned and sort of, eh, we can live with this. Yeah, kind of for yeah. a while. Yeah, we you know, we don't have that this. kind. Of optimism, but but yeah. in getting further down the line into some of the other docs, you know, you start to realize there's. Well, we'll get to that. So, what you're saying is that what engaged you about Zappa is that it was again a way, not unlike Showbiz Kids, to to sort of play out your own yeah um, experience. Yeah, I came at a time sort of circling back to what you just said that like I came at a time in my life in my fifty early fifties when I was dealing with a lot of unpacking my childhood and my parents and my own trauma and my own upbringing. And Zappa, and I loved them, and I was like, what made them tick? Like, like they were so intent on doing the art they were doing at a time when 
eventually you had Reagan killing the arts and killing the NEA, and it was you know anathema to be, I mean, a, an artist, much less a modern dancer. Yeah. And then uh, and Zappa had always intrigued me because he was paradoxical. I liked some of his politics. I didn't like others. He was you know sexually craven, and yet he was really forward thinking. Yeah. Um, he had these kids who he seemed to really love and spend time with, and yet he didn't. Um, and so I found so many. Well, sim- it felt like they were all hostages exactly. in, in, in in this house where, yeah. like, I remember like yeah. what does it, like that he would pipe that music that he was doing in the basement yeah. through the house yeah. like all day long and the cigarette smoke. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, and that was like I, you know, all the pictures I have of myself as a child. Either my mother pregnant with me, she has a cigarette in one hand, a glass of whiskey in the other. <laughs> five years old cigarette, seven years old cigarette. Right. So, but getting back to the idea that you know, as a grown up, I imagine you and not so much me my i didn't come from uh you know my mother painted but she wasn't on the cutting edge of anything yeah but you know it's it's irrefutable that you know the community that your folks were involved with and and zappa in and of himself and whatever he was sort of spearheading was truly revolutionary yeah they that's the thing is i had uh, utmost admiration for them and i had a lot of admiration for zappa so i it allowed me kind of a way in uh, to try to get my head around what made people like that tick and also the, their own trials and tribulations at that time, like the real granular challenges of of trying to forge ahead in yeah. the arts at that period of time. Well, yeah. And like, you know, I go like when I was trying to wrap my brain around Zappa and, you know, it's ongoing. Yeah. Because, you know, there there's something about the mystique of Frank where you're sort of like, you know, every one of these albums has got to be a genius thing. And like he was really doing something. But ultimately, you know, it's it's a lot of noodling, but it's a lot of, you, you know, he was writing you know he was a a composer yeah and there's there's just sort of this arc to it all but it is sort of a a a deep i always wondered i remember years ago i asked a friend of mine who's in music management i'm like is zappa like does do they make money yeah because like does anybody like zappa and my my friend said look if you have a bin at the record store with your name on it you're making you're making money yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he was always experimenting i mean he was I think that like that's what I discovered when I when I saw the vault, which we started to digitize and preserve. And the, the went down the stairs. Yeah, down the went basement, down the stairs, and it the was old just, studio. It went on and on and on, floor to ceiling, massive, very well organized. And I was I, so lucky to go to that house once. Oh, it was amazing. That place was so. Great. The only problem is I was given a tour of it by Moon, yeah. and it was me and Moby, which kind of was a buzzkill. <laughs> Moby was a buzzkill. He kept touching everything. Oh God. <laughs> anointing everything yeah yeah you'd, yeah you'd get on the drum set i'm like dude and yeah have yeah, some get, have get some off, respect yeah, get off the piano man yeah 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 <laughs> but i realized when i was working on the vault that it was the, the even his archive it wasn't his ego thing and it wasn't yeah. like i must preserve it was it was an act of conceptual art unto itself oh, so he i think he was like prince i think he just always was creating so obviously everything wasn't going to be great i wish i was like that because me i'm i'm cooking you know i'm fixing a thing yeah and i know that the energy could be going elsewhere exactly but, but yeah. it's, it's something Sometimes it's just not as satisfying as you know making some beans. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and there's something compulsive. I don't want to take away from those people, yeah. but there's something compulsive about like I must make music 24 seven. Yeah, man. Day I in, mean, day out. it's like Hendrix too. Yeah. I mean, you know, like they're like it's like every year there's new Hendrix material. Yeah. I'm like, the guy died at 27. Yeah, it's ridiculous. What yeah. the fuck was he doing? Yeah. Like, never sleeping and yeah. just playing all well, the time. Well, I think probably yeah. Yeah. But but Zappa, like you know it it. It's one of these things, like I've been noticing lately too, about going back and, uh, like I said, not being a nostalgic, but realizing that a lot of my op- opinions were 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 
put in place when I was too young to really understand what I was talking about. Yeah. And I was uh, arrogant and, and, and pseudo intellectual. Yes. Yeah. So, so like, I have to go like back every know. single inter- interview of me up until well, I hit about 40, but yeah, it's, but it's now I'm sort of like reassessing things <laughs> yeah. or, or really assessing things for the first time. Yeah. Thanks to Criterion channel, yeah. which I think is like a great tool. If you were like a, a, a snooty film nerd in your twenties yeah. to sort of like, did you really get that movie? Yeah. And I go back and I watched them. Like, I didn't even know what it was about. Yeah. No, I probably slept through half of it. Yeah. yeah or, or had these opinions that were ridiculous, but yeah. Zappa, the genius of him and also the reckoning with him is that it never ends. Yeah. And and his commitment to things, like some of the footage of him, you know, conducting yeah. at, later in his life was kind of like really spectacular because I don't know that he gave a fuck yeah. if anybody liked it. No, I really truly, truly do not think he did. I think it's a, a real error to assume that he wasn't commercial because he was afraid of commercial success, which is a theory some people had. No, I, but he like he he tried, he kicked that like Joe's Garage was huge. It was huge. And, and, and if he went on tour, he was playing massive. I mean, he was, as you know, from like when I was a kid, everyone had a poster of Zappa and Zappa Crappa. Yeah. Exactly. The one on the toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right, but but like I think he was just a like this mythic being that yeah. he had a look. Yeah. But but he also had like an army of of true nerds. He did. Who yeah. who dug like you know who dug him. Yeah. And but knew then every he, single guitar solo on every single track. Right. And yeah. I think like and Dweezil does too. Yeah. Like, he does, yeah. I've I've watched Dweezil do an entire album. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like that's his bag. But yeah. But also like the the hits were were goofy. And yeah. and I'm I'm sure that on, on some level he resented the people that came in because of Sheik Your Booty more than he liked them. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure he did. Dancing fool. Yeah. I'm a dancing. Yeah. Like, you don't get it. You know. <laughs> right, but it's you like, listen to like, you know, like Ruben and the Jets. Yeah. Like, you know, that thing he does where he basically apes all of the Laurel oh, the Canyon. Oh, that. Okay, or like, yes. Was that on, I think it was, wasn't it on Ruben where he literally so. does. Yeah, he does that a lot. Like, uh, like whatever was going on down the street from yeah, him, yeah. like Crosby, Stills, and Nash or the yeah. Doors. No, he hated all that. Yeah, yeah. and he just mocks it, and it's, yeah. but he mocks it perfectly. And it's yeah. like, oh my God. Hated Bill Graham, hated the hippies, hated the San Francisco scene. And they, people lumped them in, him in with them, but yeah. it was not his trip, man. Yeah. And he was not a drug guy. No, that's the thing. I saw that VU documentary and like they're talking about him. I know it's Mo Tucker who'd lost her mind by then yeah. anyway, but talking about him being a hippie and it's like, it's just betrays such a complete lack of understanding. Yeah, of no, me. he was like literally in his own weird way on the other side of the, the spectrum from a conservative saying, get these hippies out of my yard yeah, he because was a, they, yeah. they were in his house, yeah. but he didn't have a tolerance for it. No, none. I mean, and there's a famous story of him going to New York um, in the late 60s and and being at a show where Nico was playing piano Yeah, and when she got up at the interval, he got up and imitated her entire set almost note perfectly but then just making fun of her voice and sure parodying her yeah he and, was brutal yeah they hated him but like, i didn't know all that stuff about them having that residency in yeah the it's amazing and isn't it yeah, Derek? yeah yeah man yeah uh and also like the whole like i get really obsessed with the the sort of uh beef heart uh zappa feud well it wasn't yeah. a feud but it would clearly to me you know after learning the history before your documentary yeah that uh Van Vliet, yeah. is that his name? What's Van his fr- Vliet, yeah. Van Vliet, what's yeah. his first name again? Don. Don. Yeah. Don Van Vliet. Well, they were friends. They were like childhood Super friends. Super close friends. And, yeah. with, and, and Zappa, in terms of uh, what informed his music later, the, the humanness of his sense of humor, yes. and also you know the goofiness, I think was all because of the relationship with him. There's no Vliet. doubt in my mind that that's true. And I've, I've actually thought about trying to do a doc on, if not just Beefheart in terms of that relationship on the both of them. But the, the two best friends who formed their musical 
interest and passion together. Literally. Yeah, because like he was like, you know, when you see like Zappa's influences and all the the sort of noise music weirdos and and and, yeah. and, and him playing a, a earnestly playing a bicycle on the Steve Allen show. Yeah. Like, you know, if I believed that that was a prank, I would be like he was way ahead of it. But I think yeah. he was sort of serious. I think he was too. Yeah. And 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 it took Beefheart you know, the infusion of Beefheart and the infusion yeah. of sort of this goofy, you know, blues sensibility yeah. to inform Frank to sort of like, dude, yeah. you know, get down on the ground here. With <laughs> yeah, some... exactly. Yeah. Play you for the people. Too? Yeah, 100%. I think that I think that there's no Zappa without Beefheart, no Beefheart without Zappa. And I also think that that while the feud is all you hear about, that they actually... I don't even know about the feud. Well, the, you know, if you, it's, it's really rock nerd, you know. Oh, it's okay. like, it's yeah, deep yeah. dive rabbit hole rock right. nerd land. But... I, they lo- I think they really did love each other all yeah. the way through their lives, and they just had a problematic relationship. They were very problematic people in their own right. Yeah. So you put them together, and it was just like dynamite. Well, I just love that they grew up there out in the desert by yeah. that Air Force Base. I think their dads were both engineers or something. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, well, his I think Don's dad drove like a bread truck or something, but but uh, Zappa's dad was, and uh, and they just spun records, listened to blues, and drank, you know. Because all those early, the, the Beefheart records, like the first two, it's just the Howling Wolf record. Yeah, that's really, and that's his voice, is just, know, yeah, it's just a pure And just replication. a goofball thing of it. Yeah. And it's so funny, because when I, when I uh, got to know Moon, she's like, Don taught me how to drive. Oh, really? That's terrifying. <laughs> it's great, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So okay. So that was the. I thought you did a really good job with it. And oh, it was very you. informative. And it, and to me, you know, given like you know what we're seeing, you know, as we move through the other docs, um, the YouTube doc in particular, is that you, you know once context is destroyed. Yeah. And that the context becomes the platform. Yeah. And that you know, like I did a joke years ago, uh, and and I still sort of do it. That you know that you're going to hear eventually hear some kids say like uh, Hitler was the guy with the mustache, right? Right. Oh so, God, yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. Right. So yeah. and and that's what happens when yeah. you don't have uh, a historical narrative or historical context. That putting Zappa into context for anybody who wants to take it in is important because all this stuff gets lost as art becomes. Uh, irrelevant culturally. Yes, that's uh, right. And it's 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 problem. Yeah, you know. If for but then sometimes I'm like, is that is that just a generational thing? Yeah. Or was this shit really important? You know, I don't know. I think that I think that things certain things are important, and I think certain things in the current climate that we're in are really hard to grasp. Grasp yeah. because every the noise floor is so loud. Um, and there's so much stuff, and there's and it's and you have access to all of it, and everyone has access to all of it, and that's why I wanted to do this doc because this is really the primary portal through which everyone accesses everything all the time. Yeah, which is is unto itself insane and chaotic. Yeah, I thought so. it was a uh, it was it, it was informative, and in in like certainly I didn't know the history of it, but it is a story of a tech startup. Yeah. That that became this thing, and yeah, that a behemoth. I, yeah, and there was a couple of things that that I learned from it. And I don't remember which doc. I think it it was the doc, it was the new one, mm-hmm. where um, where the the kid who was stuck in the alt right. Yeah, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb, Caleb Kane. Yeah. That's in the new yeah. doc. Mm-hmm. Like he said the thing. There was a couple of things that were said uh, that that struck me. That when he said, you know, what we risk here is people's ability to be human. Yeah. That that the destruction of empathy uh, through, um, I don't know if it's objectification or what the word would be, but this idea that, you know, when you're online and when you're taking this stuff in and when the algorithms dictate uh, what you do and think yeah. is that, you know, you're, you're removing 
there's no community of touch. Yeah. So so what happens is everything becomes some sort of uh, almost I don't want to trivialize it, but it's not a video game. Yeah. But there's a distance between humanity and what's going on in some guy's head in his house. Yeah, that's completely the problem. There's so much talk now, which I somewhat understand about the algorithms, or the algorithm, the algorithm all the sure. time. And it's not really about an algorithm. It's yeah. really a human societal issue. And it's really, like you just said, it's a an empathy-killing issue. Yeah. And the problem, you know, and there's great things about these platforms and great things about YouTube, obviously, in, in terms of, of some of the things they've done. But that parasocial component of feeling like you're talking to someone who you know but like you said, having no real connection to them whatsoever. I deal with that all the time. Yeah. Because of stuff, I was doing live Instagram feeds during pandemic. Right. And I was dealing with a lot of lonely, you know, frustrated, scared people. Yeah. And they would start interacting with me through DMs. Yeah. As if I, w I were FaceTiming them. Yeah. And these are, these are not dumb people. Right. Yeah. And it's like something breaks in it the is. brain. It really impacts the brain. And uh, so it can cause, an, I mean, when we, when there was the Christchurch shooting in 2019, I think for a lot of us, that was the kind of tipping point when we realized these platforms were actually going to cause real world harms and, and real world violence. And people say, oh, it's just talk on the internet. Don't be a snowflake. But people were actually going to get hurt. Uh, and that was kind of for me when I wanted to start telling a story around this. Basically. Well, also the idea that, you know, you it's it's unintentional self-radicalization because you know sometimes you're not savvy enough to know why you're being fed what you're fed yeah and that's i guess where the algorithm comes in and how it was exploited by people with um propagandistic and uh, uh ideological intention yeah there's a couple things that work though because to be fair to youtube they did a lot of work on the on the recommender algorithm and, and it is much less likely you will get straight up rabbit hole that way where you go on looking for fuzzy slippers and then end yeah. up with a Glock and, and, and part of a neo-Nazi <laughs> group. Um, yeah. but, but by the same token, that, that parasocial aspect of like feeling like Steven Crowder or like, you know, um, Candace Owens is in your living room. If you're susceptible Two to- Two of my biggest nightmares. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're susceptible to rhetoric that's really extreme and intense, which almost everybody is, whether they're- Yeah, because they're emotionally stifled. Exactly. Yeah. And then that, that can lead you into dangerous territory so what was the like you know i imagine that the dark web uh i mean napster too but there is a, a zone that you're kind of with these docs on the periphery of which is this uh this kind of like uh you know beyond good and evil you know free zone yeah of 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 thought and 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 barter and ideas mm -hmm. that exists behind the the wall of the mainstream internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's been fascinating to me since the 80s. Like, I got online in the 80s before the web uh, during the Usenet BBS era. Yeah. And that's immediately found that there. There was, you know, the sort of alt-rec movement, which was was rock and roll and yeah. sex and, and philosophy and literature yeah. and everything. Um, and a lot of community there, but it, it, it struck me then that there was this community growing, uh, that was kind of beyond the basic confines of society in a way, yeah. but not, uh, fully, this is where the mistake happens, not really fully liberated from those confines. Right. right? And that's what we saw really blow up during 2016 to 2020 when you had these like Bernie supporters who after, who went full Trump. 
Right. You know, they were like, you know, F the government, like full liberation. Right. We want to be free. Then they were like, now nah, we're just going to put on a MAGA hat and like start stomping people's heads. Like yeah. that, that, that fantasy that you're sort of living beyond the confines of society can very quickly turn into kind of a fascistic thing. Well, yeah, but that, but, but they're like, th- this is the thing about what was interesting in, I guess it was probably in the deep, the deep web one is that, you know, Char- you know, Charles Schumer, who's, you know, no wizard. Yeah. But, you know, was brought to his attention with his, like, kind of base, you know, basic understanding of the internet as an old man. Yes. Was sort of like, this is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they're just getting drugs. The yeah. kids are just getting. Yeah. Click a button. And, yeah. But but that was what facilitated the the investigation. It was, yeah. And so, yeah. And, and not unlike, you know, there is a generation of these older guys you know, on the wrong side of things, like it seems that, that most of these tech giants are, well, I can't say most, yeah. but at least a couple of the important ones are are unrepentant fascists, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the guise of libertarianism. That's right. Yeah. And, and they know that, you know, fascism in and of itself, they don't really give a fuck. And this is the empathy thing yeah. about, you know, what the masses are up to yeah. as long as they have the freedom to conduct business as they want without regulation and yeah. without, and they're willing, like, you, you know, it's, I just was thinking about this this morning, even with Netflix, is yeah. that because I had a conversation with somebody, you know, about Robert F. Kennedy, right? You know, and this idea that uh, you know he's some sort of like he's not anti-vax. He was a guy that was looking for legal rights for people that were affected by vaxes right. to, yeah. to 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 uh, fight back against the government. Which yeah. it's all that's all horseshit. Yes, nonsense. But this, yeah. the thing I started to realize, and this I realized this a while ago, even about Netflix and how they reacted to the issue of 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 trans protests yes. around jokes yep. was the fascist brain is going to say like, well, look, you know, there's, a, there's only a few of them. Right. And most people don't give a fuck. Yeah. And then there's these other people that, you know, want them dead. Yeah. But ultimately we're going to stay in the center of this and, you know, let them just play their little game out yep. and not give a fuck about the future of the damage of, of trans rights or, right. or whether or not they're going to be in bigger trouble yeah. as long we'll go to where the money is. Right. And if it's, you know, if we have to change it to, you know, you know, Nazi flicks, yeah. you know, we can work with that. Right. Yeah. We'll yeah. still have an audience. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I think that in tech, you'll find sort of two different, there's a Venn diagram where they connect, but you find people who are straight up fascist, which I think is what we saw with the, with the purchase of Twitter, where Elon came in with a, an agenda. He was just like, I'm anti-democratic. I'm anti-trans. I'm literally just going to trump this stuff all day long but he's like but he is a unrepentant fascist at this point that's what i'm saying yeah i'm saying he's on that side. yes sir. he's the clear unrepentant and feel too and then and peter teal yeah, like Thiel. who's i'd say is like his evil dad yeah right yeah. he really mentored him right and teal has more power than elon even though elon has i guess more money but then on the other side you have just this, the capitalists right who aren't necessarily fascists um and i think this is where a lot of the google youtube folks lie where Oh, we're monetizing hate speech and and the rise of the far right and people are getting killed, but we get a lot of money from ad revenue by doing that. And so, you know, capitalism is more important than ideology yeah. and values. And so, we're but, keep but going. alongside that, and I kind of dropped this uh, thing about about the YouTube thing is that there are calculating tech savvy. It seems like all the like whatever Bannon did when he realized that the GamerGate was a portal to sort of you know radicalizing you know yeah. these these sort of isolated, angry young men yep. into real action. You know, mm-hmm. whether they saw it that way or not, they liked the game of it. Yeah. And and I think that was really the beginning of of modern, 
you know, kind of uh, uh, grassroots radicalization. Completely, which is why we we focused on it in the doc because yeah. it, it's there's a it's very easy to once you have your arms around a huge group of people, it's very easy to exploit them. So Stephen Crowder, maybe who is still on YouTube with millions of followers, he may be being dismissed by YouTube as well. He's just like you just said, you know, who's he really going to hurt? He's yeah. just yakking his nonsense to like a, a calls himself a comedian. That's yeah, what bothers me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, he's like yeah, he's like a failed actor or whatever, but. Uh, Failed a lot of things. Yeah, I think so. Human failed, failed human being with a soul. Yeah. Um, but then it's very easy to exploit that group, that huge community that he's addressing. It's funny because Bannon's a failed showbiz guy too. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, but yeah. that's they're all fucking grifters. Dude. Yeah, as is, it's a huge grift. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But but so what, good one though. It pays it pays dividends. I guess, yeah. but like you know, there is also that moment where, and I I, I don't know if you did it. I think you might have put it in the YouTube where, you know, to get these 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 guys mostly yeah you know out into the real world into real action yeah They're not I, you did cover it january 6th is a good yeah, example yeah that's right? what it leads to yeah but but early on you know when you know uh uh milo milo yanatopoulos or yeah whatever exactly is, yeah was sort of this strange kind of uh you know uh, had a sexual component yeah but he was pulling these guys out of their houses into action and when you see video of these guys you're like they don't know how to be outside yeah this is like almost like a cosplay thing yeah where where they're like sort of like we're doing it and it, it's yeah. not registering as reality mm -hmm. that's to true. some of them yes yeah they don't really know how to function in reality it's kind of yeah oh, oh. i mean jan six was like that i mean you see it in their eyes it's just like they're almost not even sure why they're there and yet they're committing acts of violence well, you know, and you see it in all these MAGA interviews. It's sort of like where they contradict themselves, but they yeah. that part of their brain doesn't process it that way. Yeah. And all right, but well, this is a, like a different conversation. So the 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 incentive or the 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 uh, inspiration for the YouTube thing. How does that happen to you? Like, what was the? What well, I've been working on the growth of online communities for a long time. I've been watch I was working on a doc about QAnon, um, oh, yeah. which I was about to drop in and do. Uh, I was going to go and install myself into families that had been radicalized around the country. I was getting a little nervous about it because I'm Jewish and QAnon is essentially an anti-Semitic cult, like sure, at totally. its root. Um, so I, I thought, just did a, an interview with a guy who wrote uh, Operation Mindfuck. Oh, okay. The cult of yeah, Trump. No, of course. And, uh, yeah. That guy Robert Guffey. It, yeah. And, yeah, the, it's it's straight up anti-Semitic. Yeah, propaganda. so I was like, is this, you know, I've got kids in a family. Like, yeah. Is this the, like, you know, at one point am I crossing my own lines? Like, yeah. do, do I need to be the guy telling this story? Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of hesitant to start that, and then COVID made it happen, made it difficult. And frankly, the producer, Gail Ann Hurd, reached out to me about this. I interviewed her. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. She's been so great as a yeah. partner. But uh, she had some connections at, at with access within YouTube and was like, she'd seen my other tech docs, and she thought it made sense. Yeah. And I was like, A, I'd love to work with you, and B, I also have a lot of access within YouTube. YouTube and Google, and I think we can get to big people here, yeah. and I think they will talk. Um, and uh, and so it felt like the right time after 20... I was very concerned after 2016 about technology's role in the rise of the far right. Yeah. And I felt like nobody was talking about it, and everyone was talking about Twitter, and everyone was talking about Facebook. No one was talking about YouTube. Or 4chan. And Google. Exactly. Or, yeah. So here you have the largest tech company on the planet with more eyeballs on it by an order of magnitude than any other that's just completely under the radar. Yeah. And and they've done a lot of great things. So I really wanted to focus on, like we were saying before, it's, it's, it's new nuanced right this mm. is these are tools the tools that can be used for good or they can be used for evil um but there is a question of account same with the deep web yeah same with the deep web so i came at it in a very open way in that way um but i did want to look at the implications of a company that big at this time in history 
and well, its impact on history. Well, I thought the threads that you followed, it, and it's just sort of like, it, it's a weird thing when you talk to the people that are smart enough to know what's up, but still mm -hmm. keep their sort of idealism in place. Like, you know, in the deep web doc, you, you've literally got, you know, silhouetted guys saying like, look, all we're trying to do is to get good heroin to responsible users. Right. Right? Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a everyone great... should have that right. Yeah. Know, without the it's a, I mean, as a bumper sticker, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Right? <laughs> and, you know? you know, so there's those guys whose yeah. idealism is confused with this, you know, this type of e illegal transaction. Yeah. The, uh, then then it's like, you know, cloaked. That has in, real world consequences. Right. But it's cloaked yeah. in the ideas. It's like better than they get shot in the streets yeah. trying to buy dope or get a bad hit of fentanyl. Like, you yeah. know, we've got the good shit. Yeah. And, you know, no one's going to bother them. Yeah. And we're a community, so we'll tell you how to shoot up and we'll help you get on methadone and we'll all be in it together. We'll take you through the whole process yeah. right until you OD. Exactly. Yeah. But, We'll uh, hold your hand to the end. But also you talk to these guys, you know, these well-intended tech nerds who created YouTube who seem like good guys. Yeah. And then they were bought out early on. So they have the luxury of being like, well, that wasn't really what we intended. Right. And, you, you know. Yeah. Which and, is what you often see in the tech docs, like just somebody who's like cashed out, bagging on whatever's sure. going on. Sure, yeah. Well, what from they the got safety to of their house in Aspen. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the, the other thing that I found you know, very compelling. And I kind of, you know, I all, we all knew it was happening is that, you know, show business as we know it is finished. Right. And that, you know, it, these, the numbers that people are talking about of, of influencers and people who just sort of set up shop yeah. is above and beyond anything you or I could have made yeah. on a TV show. For sure. So yeah. that whole, like the, the, we're just watching that die. Yes. You know, uh, outside of, uh, uh, fortunately, I think the profoundly talented people who want to work in a collaborative environment yeah. with other profoundly inspired uh, people are still, you know, working within yeah, the ecosystem of yes. show business Agreed. and, and of, yeah. of Hollywood and, and that. But guys who just sort of want to build their own worlds yeah. and make, you know, millions and millions of dollars can do it and have done it, especially in my business. Yeah. You know, but but comedy, once you do that doc next, the tribalization of comedy. Yeah. That's dark. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of dark, but it's, yeah. it's pretty straight up that, you know, all these kind of dum-dums who are like, you know, fighting for free speech are so easily co-opted by, you know, right-wing propagandists yeah. that, you know, they, bar they barely even know it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, They're just serving a purpose. To, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it moves the crowd. It's that, you know, it moved the crowd. I'm like, well, yeah, but look at the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Who wants to play for those guys? <laughs> exactly. so you're, not, you're not a comic. You're a tribal warlord. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you know, telling guys to, you know, eat organ meat in the yeah. morning. Yeah. But, uh, but most of those people are, let's be honest, are not the brightest bulbs. No, the but trip. they, but, but they've been convinced that they're like, they know what comedy is yeah. or they're comedy fans. Yes. But they, they, they have an ideological, uh, uh, sort of, um, uh, point of view yeah. that that was given to them by somebody else and there's no nuance in it and there's certainly not much humanity in it. No, none. And no empathy. Yeah. Well, that's a, that is the biggest problem is that, yeah. you know, and I've said it before on the show that, you know, without tolerance, democracy can't function. Yeah. And without empathy, humanity can't function. No. Yeah. So, so, you know, the more that these people live out in these worlds, like even these guys, these psycho-libertarian wizard kids that yeah. created the uh, uh, Silk Road or or kind of navigated past the barriers that enable them to get into the dark uh, web, 
you know, our idealistic, philosophically minded, yeah. you know, coders mm-hmm. uh, who I don't know that they live outside of their head. Yeah. I think that their ideas and the application of those ideas do not take into consideration the, the bulk of humanity. Well, that's the, what that's why I made the doc. I mean, there, there's a point at which the the keyboard collides with the with reality. And yeah. that's where the trouble happens. And same with YouTube. And exactly. And with YouTube, that's writ large because now you're dealing with with propagandizing giant chunks of the of the you know the Silk Road was tiny. Yeah. Right? I mean, in the scheme of things, like they called Ross a kingpin, which was ludicrous. Yeah. He was not, and they charged him based on being a kingpin, which was really. Well, there were so many pictures of drugs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So well, look at the let's, let's, <laughs> look at this <laughs> list. They could Charles Schumer. Look at this. They got benzos. They got mollies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. But uh, but it, with YouTube, you're dealing with just giant chunks of the global population, so that becomes a real problem. Yeah, but also it's like you know nobody I know watches TV anymore yeah. in that way. No. And That's you know. I think that, you know, with YouTube and certainly with, uh, you know, Instagram and and some of the other ones, but like YouTube a lot that, you know, you are, you see everything in segments Yeah. that, 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 you know, narrative arc or, or, or sort of context is not important. Yeah. So it's all driven by, and you cover this too, this, you know, the, the kind of, uh, focused dopamine charge Mm -hmm. of, of clicking and clicking, right? Yeah. That's right. Isn't that in there? Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. You got it all in there. Yeah. Well, that's primarily what's driving you more even than an algorithm in that way is, is the scrolling, the stimulation of just constant, constant content in your face. And you know all that. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you, you, you sort of, they know what I mean. Yeah. They know it, you know, but that's what it's ad based, right? So because it's ad based business model, it's whole purpose is to keep you pinned. But that's the fucking amazing thing about it. After all is said and done and there's all these new technologies and new billionaires yeah. because <laughs> of, of entrepreneurship, yeah. the entire model is still run like fucking radio. This is what I keep saying. That's the whole problem. Like it's so, it's forward thinking in so many ways and so backwards and so many others. And their problem is based on that. Their business model is so antiquated. Like so, why don't the you come up with a better business model? Influencers, I mean, they were doing yeah. that on the Milton Berle show. <laughs> The exactly. beginning of television, yeah. you know, the, the uh, you know, uh, what is it like, uh, like Chevron brings you yeah, the exactly. so and such theater, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. that's always been the bag. Yeah. It's really old school in that way. It's just like, it's like, it's like Pulitzer and yellow journalism. It's just like, keep, you keep pumping really provocative stuff at people and you'll keep them engaged and you can sell stuff to them. But, they, but that's the weird thing. It's so, it's a little devious because like, I don't really respond to commercials. I don't think so. But, yeah. but if like, I don't know, all of a sudden, you know, like, I think I got some cool boots and then, you know, you realize that everyone's got those boots and like, yeah. how the fuck did that happen? Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how that happens. Yeah. Do and you? especially, <laughs> yeah. Where there's 4 billion people watching this content every day, then yeah. But they slip the boots in on me. They I do. Don't know they slipped they... them in. Yeah. <laughs> It got it right yeah. into my brain. Yeah. I don't know. Why don't am know. I wearing Uggs? Yeah, yeah. I they look like ridiculous. Uggs. Yeah, yeah. So where, like, what do you come out, uh, where, like, what did you learn? I mean, what, what do you- I mean, I learned a bunch of stuff. You always do. You don't go in at all with all the answers, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I didn't realize how much YouTube was really just- a function of Google because it's really kind of presented as a very well, they paid a lot for well, they arm. did, but they presented as two separate companies yeah. with two separate uh, campuses and different right. owners and everything. But it's really Google's media front end. Yeah. And I think that that has implications in terms of the power of Google. I think it tells us a lot about the issues we face with big tech right now, where you yeah. just have a very small group of companies running 
everything. Yeah. And everything is really all of the information, all the entertainment, all of the data, all of the media, all of the news for the entire planet yeah. is essentially being run by three companies. Um, and I didn't, I kind of guessed that there was some aspect of that, right? Um, but the level of monopoly is sort of, and the scale, the size of these companies yeah. and the profit, like that was sort of jaw dropping to me. So do you think that, that, um, Congress essentially as a regulating, um, entity is far behind the understanding of how these companies work? Yes. I think they're, they are at the risk of sounding really flippant. They're clueless to be honest. Well, but I was, but I was sort of uh, amazed that, you know, law enforcement is not that clueless. I mean, the one thing that I saw, and it was a big part of the, the deep web doc yeah. is that, you know, this fourth amendment, uh, issue around how the information was seized. Yeah. You, you know, it was a real issue, but it, it, it becomes sort of nuanced and a little wonky uh, to just the layman. But to those who fight those constitutional battles and are, are sort of moving to get beyond government regulation, yeah. it's a very important thing. But it seemed that the law enforcement agencies are pretty fucking up to speed. The DEA is up to speed. Child Protective Services, super up to speed. They, they're probably doing more good than anybody on the internet in terms of protecting children online. Um, the government, w when we talk about the government, because obviously that's a big, it's a generalization, right? If you, okay. If you talk to Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff is pretty educated and his team is like- Yeah, but they're insulated too. It's weird. You and talk to Adam Schiff and you're like, are you going to fix it? And he's like, well, we, we're, I'm working on this one thing. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. That's the problem is the, is getting those, those things to come together. Right. So sort of the government, the big G government is clueless in the sense of, of they don't really understand the, the full implications of what's going on. They don't exactly know how to fix it. They don't work together. If they can, there's no mechanism by which to get them to work. And there's together. an entire party that, uh, you know, all it wants is to exploit, and there's uh, a very powerful other party that's a majority that is preventing them. From, and not only that, but the tech companies have so much money. When you look at a company like Google, they're paying off the left as much as they're paying off of the course, right. They always so there's very it. little legislation, very little regulation, very little antitrust coming their way. So I, whenever I talk to individuals, sometimes you get heartened within Congress or whatever. And then you walk away and realize, oh, well, they can't do anything. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't matter how smart they are. That's right. Nothing's going to happen. Um, that guy can't save the world. Yeah. So people kept saying to me when they watched the doc, because it, it's pretty intense. Like, well, what's the solution? It's like, well, the, the good news is I think eventually people will come up within government who are who came up online and really understand the nuance of these platforms. The bad news is we've got, you know, a fascist takeover coming in this country that's only going to get worse. Bef like things are going to get worse before they get better, I think. Or, is yeah, is it, how's it going to time out? And also, like, how do you get those people that you're talking about interested in government? I mean, right. because of the nature of things, you know, people don't even want to be doctors anymore. Yeah. You know, there's a real kind of like employment problem with getting, you know, righteously minded um civic-minded people yeah. involved in government in a way that, because everybody, I think one of the other symptoms of what you're documenting is that you know, everyone feels there's a, there's an entitlement and a self-centeredness that it just has naturally evolved. Right. Uh, and everybody thinks that they, you know, have their own show somewhere. Yes, that's right. And, you know, why would they want to be part of a, a civic collective mm -hmm. that, you know, is ultimately, uh, in the short term ineffectual. Yeah. When they can have more self-serving. 
I uh, think that's true. Lives. But I think that that my my own optimism comes from the belief, which maybe I may be on my deathbed and go, "Well, I was wrong about yeah. that." But but uh, the belief that that humans will do the right thing when they are stripped of all of the things that they care about. But the problem is, is that that stripping is very elaborate and engaging that, yep. you know, they, we, they might have been stripped, but they no longer, you know, think along those terms. Like they are acting, they are thinking in relation to how they're being defined by this cultural input, which is nonstop. I think that's a hundred percent true, but I think certain watershed moments like Dobbs yeah. is a game changer. Sure. I think that when something like Dobbs happens and women on both sides of the political aisle, which is why I really thought Trump was done, done when that happened like everyone's freaking out about it. i'm like that guy to me is is cooked it doesn't mean there isn't desantis and holly and a million yeah. evil versions right there that we have to worry about because we do have to worry about them yeah but i think that when something like dobbs happens and women on both sides of political law go oh my god my rights are gone yeah like all my rights are gone overnight poof they're gone i think that that's very activating and I think that even if it isn't like, oh, suddenly they're all hitting the streets and they're they're fighting, I do think that is activated people sure. who are going to be civic minded that would say, you know what, I've got to get into civic uh, politics or responsibility, law. yeah. And and because and and that's why one of the reasons I make docs is people say, don't isn't it demoralizing if you make something and you and like a billion people don't see it or it doesn't change policy or something. And I have this kind of, I don't call it humble because it yeah. sounds falsely modest. Um, but I'm like, look, if one person watches one of these things and goes, I'm going to be a, an antitrust lawyer, like that's job done. Like yeah. it's like anything that gets people engaged in some way. Yeah. I just, I, I just always wonder. And I, and I think that's true. Uh, and again, like, you know, I have a hard time judging what the fuck is really going on. Right. We all, you do. know, yeah. uh, in terms of, because like, you know, I'm, I'm at the age I'm at and I don't do a lot of things. Yeah. You know, I'm not in the mix. Yeah, per se, mm -hmm. of what's really happening culturally. I mean, yeah. I don't know music. I, I barely know the movies. I can't keep up with TV shows. And yeah. there's there's part of me I don't know that anyone can. Yeah, because we're not kids, and it's sort of dictated by kids. Mm -hmm. But but there's also this the idea of like I I believe what you're saying is true. But there's also the fear is like how do you hold people in the frame without them you know feeling you know defeated and then hence you know, seek more entertainment or more distraction to uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, sedate their powerlessness in the face of climate change or fascism. Yeah, I think that I, I agree with you. And I think that that is why in the short term, uh, the very least, we're going to see more of all of this destruction because I think people are anesthetized. And I think there's complicity on the side of tech companies and other forms of news that are happily anesthetizing people for dollars. So that is going to continue. That is not going away. I just, I don't like, that's the one thing that I, every day I wonder how, like, I really have these weird questions because like, you know, look, I, I, I feel, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hard on myself over everything and I yeah. feel shame and guilt about, you know, everything that I perceive as my failings. Yeah. Like, I sure. don't know how these fuckers can live with themselves. Yeah. They must operate in such a, a, a strange blind spotted bubble or they actually don't uh, aren't able to conceive of empathy with her, I think is a a corporate problem in general. Yeah. But when you see what's unfolding, I don't I don't know how do they just sort of like, well, this is my job. And I, you know, I, you know, I'm not, they rationalize it. Yeah, I think I they know. rationalize it. I think the further up the food chain you go, as you know, the more people you have not telling you all of what's going on and kind of sh 
That's you why know, you hire them. Slu- exactly. Sloughing off accountability. Like, well, look, there's always going to be bad apples. Like, I think if you look That's at YouTube, it, right, they right. do a lot of good I'm things. I'm not that bad. Yeah. Like, look at all of our di- diversity initiatives. Look at all the positives we do. They focus on that. They're, we're making enormous profit. You know, their board, their shareholders are happy. Their board is happy. And so if like someone says, well, the Christ Church shooter said he, he killed all these Muslims because of YouTube and only because of YouTube. And if it wasn't for YouTube, he wouldn't have ever done yeah, it. Because what, do you, what do you think of that? And they say, well, there's always going to be bad apples. Like, we can't account for all of society, right? Like, right. Well, and it's with three guys on YouTube. Yeah. That he was, he did it because That's of, right. Basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the bad apple problem. It's sort of like, well, it seems like the bad apples are starting to really get together. Yeah. There's a lot of apples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. popping off everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And they and they tried to hang the vice president and they killed people and yeah. a few bad apples. Yeah. <laughs> but that gets back to that thing is like, you know, if you perceive them as a, a minority that eventually will, you, you know, either become irrelevant or you know dictate your bottom line yeah uh, that's 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 like a plus plus it's a gamble they're willing to take yeah you know fuck it i also think that their mechanisms are in place that don't allow them to change unless they ha- i think you can't police yourself if you're a publicly traded company where a shoulder shareholder could frog march you out of the building if you change your profit mechanism to make less profit Right. Right. If they say, oh, you know what? This is bad. Our ad based model isn't working because a lot of and, people. And are- that's the other thing. It's like shareholder responsibility is negligible because it, most of it is just rich people with yeah. money guys who yeah. are, di- di- you know, who are kind of investing in a broad spectrum of things for a portfolio. Yeah. So fucking 90 percent of the shareholders are sort of like, how's how's my money? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the target of, of accountability keeps getting diverted. That's right. F- further and further away until there is none anymore. And also the, the, the institutions in place, I think you brought it up about, you know, you, you, you know, that there was that stuff, I guess it was probably in the dark web one about how, you know, all of these institutions, whether they're within the government, like the FBI, have a lot invested in, you know, the money that comes in to fight whatever they're fighting, even yep. if it's ineffective yep. and, and, and they're not going to change their ways because they don't want to change their budgets. That's right. Because they'll lose money yeah. and, they, and they'll, they're afraid of losing their jobs, yeah. which is why the Silk Road, which was basically this tiny little corner of the Internet, was blown up into this massive, like, bigger than a cartel thing because... Yeah, and I I just don't uh, like it's not that I don't have uh, hope necessarily, but but it is hard to, you know, it, it just it, it, I just don't understand people as as much as I thought. And like yeah. we started this conversation talking about the the thing about you know talking to people like you and I are talking or doing it in the documentary ways that you do see people for who they are. But when you really think about the number of people and the possibilities that they have in their life on you know in any second to engage in God knows what uh, that to fill their brain with. Yeah. And there's just millions and millions of, of these, you know, isolated, you know, or, or not even isolated, just people walking around with this shit in their hand and in their head. Yeah. It's very daunting to try to figure out what the humanity is because this idea that you say that most people you, that eventually will maybe do the decent thing. It's like, I don't even know if people are engaged as humans anymore that much. Yeah. I, I have hope that <clears throat> my general belief is that yes, the, the, the events, all the way through COVID have shown us that, you know, if given the choice, many, if not most humans will, will take the wrong one. <laughs> um, I mean, COVID was just such a demoralizing, sure. you know, to live, even my kid, like a kid at the time, he went from eight to 12 during yeah. COVID. He was just like, what's wrong with people? Yeah. Like he was utterly flummoxed yeah. by the, the sheer inanity and heartlessness of the way people were dealing with the pandemic. And the even anger at, yeah. over, over public health protocol. Yeah, over throwing a mask on or whatever. It was just insanity. It's, and yeah. 
but, so, that, but that's what politics has become on that side. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they were able to make that a, a, a insanely successful wedge issue yeah. was, was crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, it's going to go away, you guys. Yeah. We're just trying to make it go away. Yeah. Quicker. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So that your grandmother or your dad doesn't die. It's like, it was yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, why why would the government want to kill all the people? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, so I mean I think that's the thing is I, my hope comes from the fact that it doesn't it doesn't take over the course of history it's never taken a lot of people to create positive change. And so I know there's a there are is a fair amount of people who do think well and are going to take action. There's a lot of people in science, people at JPL right now working on climate change and in different Caltech and different places around the world. I live next door to a biochemist who put my mind at ease at the beginning of COVID because he was like, I've never seen, he was working on the vaccine. And he yeah. was like, I can tell you it's going to be a minute and I'm not going to belittle it. You should take it seriously. But I've never seen so many international university communities come together. They're usually competitive to, to battle this thing. And we are going to get a vaccine and we are going to save people's lives. And that was very invigorating. Well, yeah, watch. because that's the world that none of us are in touch with. The exactly. people doing the quiet, real work. We're just getting stuff done. Yeah. yeah like, cause we're all caught up in this. Yeah. Even if you don't want to be, you're caught up in this sort of clickbait, yeah. you, you know, talking, head, talking. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. Yeah. But there's plenty of people. And I know, and, and even in, in, in a weird, not necessarily great way, even law enforcement. I mean, yeah. that was the other thing. It's like, yeah. oh, there are still people figuring out how to do things. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And there's really, that's the thing about the tech world that's always made me somewhat optimistic about it. I know so many people within tech, even within Google and YouTube, yeah. who are really good people and really smart and really trying to fi figure out solutions to things. And so, you know, there has to be better communication and there has to be better accountability. But that's a, a capitalism problem more than it is an algorithm Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm detached or like whether I don't give a fuck or what, you know, because I don't, I don't spend much time at all on YouTube. You know, occasionally, like, I like the idea that I can watch... You know, a lot of Rodney Dangerfield appearances on Johnny Carson. Yeah. <laughs> but aside yeah. from that, it's not a go-to place for me, nor is Facebook. Yeah. You know, but if I, you're 25, like all three of my boys, yeah. two of whom are out of the house already, they all came up on YouTube and yeah. use it for everything. All their music, all their TV, all their news. It's their search engine. It's literally the portal yeah. for everything for them. All of entertainment and yeah. all of the internet is through YouTube. Yeah. So and they're right. not even really on social media. Like that's where people get confused. YouTube isn't really social media. It's literally the portal to everything. Right. Right. Um, Cause uh, some of I mean, my little one was maybe on discord or something, but right. they're mostly on YouTube. That's just where they get everything. That's where they get everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, and that's I, generational. I sure. Think. But it is, it is weird for you and I who yeah. came up in sort of old school showbiz. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really kind of collapsing. It, it is absolutely, yeah. I mean, look at the strike. I'm knee, knee deep in it right now. I'm in all three of those unions, yeah. and I'm doing a lot of stuff around it because it's really important. But it's, you know, people are talking about AI and all these other issues, and I'm like, well, yeah, but these issues have been brewing for a while, and they're like yeah. labor crisis issues, and it's much, it's a much worse sea change than just like about AI or a new technology or something. Sure. And that's been creeping up for a minute. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that things do feel a little bleak there as far as show business is concerned. Sure. <laughs> but you know, it's like, but you know, but there is this idea, like you know, because I know a lot of comics who are releasing their specials on YouTube, and I, yeah. I'm just the only reason I won't do that is because I don't want to be disappointed. Yeah. By the engagement, so. Right. Like, 
like for me to to have a a, a benefactor like yeah. HBO or something, I'm yeah. sort of like, well, there's a context and it's curated. Yeah. And a lot of my fans are kind of my age. Yeah. And, and when it works, it works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did Showbiz Kids on HBO. It was great for us. And we had a huge audience. And like, you know, you want it. You want it to work, yeah, because it does work. Yeah, but it is being broken. But yeah, but also, you know, in, in order for YouTube to work, you've got to put the time in. Yeah, and you, you have know, to really care about the. You have to have a passion for that platform. For which yeah, for for self promotion. Yeah. yeah. Well, great talking to you, man. You too. Yeah, it was really fun. nice. Nice yeah. to meet you. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. There you go. That puts it all in perspective, right? Uh, the YouTube Effect is available starting tomorrow, August 8th, on the digital on-demand service of your choice. Hang out for a minute, folks. New bonus episodes are happening twice a week on the Full Marin. Tomorrow, we're posting a new Mark and Kit on movies where we talk about Suspiria. This is the kit indoctrinating me into the world of horror. And last week on the Friday show, Brendan and Chris paid tribute to Paul Rubens. And I was also thrilled when he announced that he was going to do the show, the like the original Pee Wee Herman show, which is what got him famous in L.A., uh, he was going to do it for a Broadway run. And so I, I go to see that. I was so excited. And I was sitting next to Eddie Brill, by coincidence. Eddie Brill's a comic. And at the time, he was the, the comic booker on Letterman. Like, if you saw comedians on Letterman, oh, wow. Eddie was the one booking them. Okay. And uh, he'd been on WTF at that point. Like, we had, we had like maybe a year into doing the show, and oh, wow. Eddie had already been on. And so he comes, he sits down next to me. I'm like, oh, Eddie Brill. I, you don't know who I am, but I'm Mark <laughs> Maron's producer. Oh, okay. And they, you know, we talked about him doing the podcast and... I said, oh, that's so cool that you came to see this. And he's like, oh, I, would, I wouldn't miss it. And I'm like, well, I, yeah, me, I, this is my childhood, like massively important to me. And he's like, well, me too. Like, I, I mean, I wasn't a child, but I definitely watched it like I was one. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we were sitting there and, you know, they did the whole show just like he used to do it on stage. And the stage show essentially became Pee Wee's Playhouse. It was very, you know, uh, similar in a lot of ways. And they had the secret word of, yeah, the, of the show. What right? was it for you? Uh, I think it was show, if I remember right. Mm. Okay. Uh, because they, they need a word they say a lot because right. they need to start getting a lot of screens. <laughs> and I just remember that every time they did it, me and Eddie Brill screamed. Like we were not, it was, there were no self-conscious choices being made. Like it wasn't like, oh, I should uh, play it cool here. No, no, no. We, everyone was screaming <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the show. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it was, uh, it was like he did exactly what he set out to do was like, create a magical time a thing that was timeless like yeah. a, a friend of ours pointed this out that like peewee's big adventure it just seems like it's so perfectly magical yep. it could exist at any time anywhere you could put that on today and th somebody make this today like that's how it would feel and uh yeah what an amazing unique dude if you want all the bonus episodes plus every episode of wtf ad free sign up for the full marin by clicking the link in the episode description or by going to wtfpod.com and clicking on wtf plus this guitar here at the end uh, may sound familiar, but it's different than it was originally. We got this track from a musician and producer named David Chamberlain. He took my riff on the Jim Gaffigan episode and added to it. You can check David's stuff out at recordla.com. Here's the jam.
lives. Bucky and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. I know I, I know I screwed it up once in there. There's a I know. <laughs>